0: Amen. You can be seated. Well, last week as we studied from Luke, we saw the the first moment in recorded history of the, the, the first event in the New Testament take place. It was it was uh, it didn't start with Jesus. It didn't start in the way that we might assume it was Gabriel showing up to a, a priest named Zachariah and announcing that he and his wife, his wife was barren that they were going to in their old age get pregnant and this baby that was going to be born was going to be a a special a, a special baby he had a special role in in the redemptive history that god was at work bringing about it had been 400 years of silence and in this moment began the process of god's work in the new testament the thing is is that zachariah he didn't he didn't believe it. He doubted it, and he questioned it, and he asked for a sign, and, and he was made mute. He couldn't speak, and so when he came out of the temple, he was left without being able to tell anybody about what was going to happen. And so while he may have been able to go home and get his message across to his wife, and, hey, hey, we've got to do our thing because we're supposed to have a baby, and, and it's going to be a surprise to everybody, he couldn't. We can tell from the text and ultimately how things played out. He couldn't tell anyone that this that this baby was going to be the forerunner of the Messiah, he couldn't tell anyone of the, of the miraculous events that took place while he did his work in the temple. He came out of the temple and they knew that he had seen something, but they couldn't know. And so just imagine the, 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 the talk that was going on, going, going on when he went home. The, the excuses or the explanations for this family. Who, who The wife had been barren all of her life. She was very old, beyond childbearing years, and and here they are pregnant. Just imagine the talk. The the explanations, the justifications, the the trying to explain it away and and to understand it. You see, the the reality is, in large part, people missed the miracle. They, They missed the opportunity to rejoice that this was a miraculous event. And it's really kind of unfortunate. They would soon find out. They would soon be, be shown what was going on. But, but as it was happening, there was, there was plenty, of, plenty of opportunity for them to explain it away. I mean, don't we all do that at some of them? I mean, don't we all at, at times just, just try to bypass the miraculous, bypass the idea that, that this powerful God is at work and that He can't accomplish what He chooses? And today as we step into our text and the the next event in redemptive history in the New Testament, as we step into this study, we are going to be brought face to face with the reality that our God is powerful. He can do as He wishes. He can accomplish what we would call the impossible. And at the end of it, we're going to be just faced with the question, how are we going to respond to this great God? What will we do with this truth? So we're going to be in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. We'll begin reading in verse 26. If you've got a Bible, I'd encourage you to follow along. It's a, it's a narrative passage, and so there's a, a lot here, and, and we'll stop along the way. I'll point out some details, and, and then at the end we'll draw out some application points. Let's begin reading in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David and the virgin's name was Mary <clears throat> and he came to her and said greetings o favored one the lord is with you but she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be so let's just stop right there and let's luke gives us the setting he he sets in place he sets the 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 event in place in time and and begins to show us the characters that are at play. So here we are, 400 years after 400 years of silence. There's the announcement of John the Baptist's birth, and then all of a sudden the the events of redemptive history they begin to compound. And so we're not waiting another 400 years to hear from God, but six months later. In fact, that's what that that's what that six month refers to. Six months after Elizabeth is. Pregnant after the announcement of her pregnancy, six months later, Gabriel is on a second mission. He's got a second message to bring. This isn't the sixth month of the year. It's six months after he first started. So we see the, the events of redemptive history beginning to compound. And if we were to follow this timeline out, they would begin to just be, they would be right on top of one another to the point that daily we're seeing God do amazing, miraculous, and powerful things through what, what is about to happen in this moment. He goes not to a prestigious place. He goes not to a, to a place like the temple or to a city like Jerusalem. He he doesn't go to some person of position. He goes to a very young girl named Mary and makes note that she's a virgin. She never had a sexual relationship in any form. He goes to this little village called Nazareth. I want you to think about Nazareth because the truth is, is that it's really. I mean, they were they were, they were not thought of as a place where where God was going to work. There were there was no notoriety in Nazareth. It was a little bitty village. Probably they they think at this time probably about four hundred people. If if to make a comparison, I mean, it would be like these towns in southwest Missouri that you drive through, and if you blink, you miss them. You know, I mean, that's, the, that's just the way it was. And and while it was Jew, uh, Jewish in culture, there's probably a lot of similarities to the villages that we work with in Africa. And so you've seen pictures of it. You've seen and heard stories of how things go. And and if it's right that there was only about 400 people in this village, then likely it's very similar to the village that we work with called Kappa. And Kappa is a really tiny little village. It's out in the middle of nowhere, and no one would think that anything significant or special would happen there, but it's a very tight-knit little village. It's got about, you know, so just just several families that there's aunts and uncles, uh, grandchildren and grandparents and fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters, and they're they're all loosely related and connected, and everybody knows everybody. It's just this little bitty village and inside that village everybody has their role the young women and and really the the women all together are are working hard uh, basically all the time i mean the the young women would be would be going to the well and getting water they'd be helping their mothers as they take care of their family compounds and and they would be Um, preparing meals together with other women because they eat in a family style and so they, they all work together to make these meals and then they bring them into the compound and, and everybody gathers around these dishes and eats together. The young men and the young men aren't, aren't, aren't just sitting there doing nothing. They're finding ways to support the, the, Um, the the household. And and so they'll hire themselves out. They'll do different things and they'll fill roles that is necessary for the whole village. For example, in Kappa there's a baker and he bakes bread for the whole village. And so everybody comes and sees him every morning to get fresh bread because that's really the only bread they're going to get. So so he bakes the bread, and then there's another guy who's a tailor, and he makes clothes for everybody and so somebody goes and gets their fabric, and then they bring it to the tailor in the village and he makes their clothes for them and and there's even a jeweler so i mean there's this guy who has a little a little um uh i don't know what you call it, but basically he's he's melting gold and forming into jewelry and 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 it's just crazy that this little village everybody has their their role. There's even an aluminum worker, a metal worker that's making plates and dishes for them to use and, and tools for them to use. It's a pretty neat and interesting connection as they live together communally, really segregated and separated from the world, just this small little village doing their thing. The only people that it seems like aren't working hard are the old guys who are sitting around talking and and napping a lot. That's about the only people that you don't see working. But, but truly during farming season, they're, they're all farmers. There's not one of them that doesn't take part in this. And in fact, I asked the guy one day, I said, so what do you do for a living? You know, cause that's, an, that's a question we ask one another. And I was like, so what do you, what do you do for a living? And he looked at me weird, like, why would you ask me that question? And I was like, well, I mean, how do you, how do you make money? And he's like, I, I don't really have anything like that. I'm a farmer everybody's a farmer and then when harvest hits everybody's a farmer the men the women the children everybody's out in the fields from from the time the sun comes up to the time the sun goes down everybody's farming and while it is different probably culturally the 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 similarities are are very i i think the, the the similarities are probably very near to what joseph and mary would have experienced she would have been getting water she would have been taking care of a family compound, he would have been probably finding some way to hire himself out. He was a carpenter we know by trade, and so he would have been building things for people and and ultimately preparing and being made ready to take his wife Mary and, and provide a home. And that's the, that's the idea. It's just a simple little people out in the middle of nowhere, well away from what people considered the center of uh, Jewish life to be. It was well north of Jerusalem. No one would have expected Nazareth to be the place that God would show up. No one would have expected Joseph to be a guy that God would would use or have a role for. He was just just your average villager. He was just your average young man. There's nothing special about him except that Luke points out that he was of the line of David. But that's really not that big a deal. Because if you think about it, by the time this happens, David had had many children and those children had had many children and those children had had many children so that the tree is wide. You know, I mean, there's all kinds of men that could have said, I'm in the line of David. I have a stake to the throne. I I could ascend to the throne. I've got a reason to stand here. But here he is, a a man with with no education and probably probably only about 14, 15 years old. Who was he? But God chose to show up, step into his life and give him a role in the process of redemption, in the work that he was going to do. But then there's Mary. Mary has this special and intimate role, this special place that she's going to fill in God's plan. But again, She's nobody special. There's nothing about her in the text that reveals to us that there is any reason, that there is any reason for us to think of her any more highly than we should. There's so many misconceptions about Mary. There's so many misunderstandings about her because of what tradition has taught and how people have venerated her needlessly. She's probably just a young Girl, probably about 13 years old, because she was betrothed, it was by 12 that the girls in that culture would have been engaged to be married. She's probably really around 13 years old, 12, 13, 14 years old, just a young girl who spends her day taking care of a family compound and taking care of menial tasks, just like every other girl around her. But what we do know about her is that she was a virgin. It's important that we notice that. I mean, it seems like Luke takes great pains to point out that that she's a virgin. He doesn't just say it once, but he says it twice. And later, you're going to see that he makes certain to record her own confession of being a virgin. He doesn't just name her a virgin once. He says, "Look, this is this virgin's name was Mary, and he came to Gabriel came to a a, a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph." There's there's he's he's wanting to make sure we see this. We know that she was a virgin. She, was, she hadn't been with a man in that way. There was really no way physically possible that what was about to be told her could happen. No physical explanation could be given except we determined that she was no longer a virgin. But Luke takes pains to point out that she is a virgin. It's unfortunate that in the Catholic Church and some Protestants hold to this as well. It's unfortunate that they've made this big deal out of this perpetual virginity that she remained a virgin. It's unfortunate that they've made this a, a point of contention or a, a point of perspective such that now if, if you disagree with them on this point that they think you have a, a, a low view of Mary. Here's the deal. We, we, we need to settle that. We need to recognize that there is no doctrine of Mary There's no Mariology, no no, no view of Mary pointed to in the Scripture other than that she fills a role in God's plan just like everyone else. The thing about Mary is the special role she was given. That's that's why we should remember her. That's what we should point to. Not, Not some tradition that says she never... Had uh, marital relations with Joseph afterward. The truth is, biblically, it would appear that she did because Jesus had brothers and sisters. Now, there's an explanation for that. There's people that say, oh, well, those were, Joseph had another wife, and they were his children from another wife, and they were his brothers and sisters uh, through Joseph, but not Mary. And, and here's the thing why does that matter? What does it do for us to even assume that she's still a virgin? Why would it need to be a thing? It doesn't. They've made something out of, out of nothing, essentially. They've, they've made something to be something that is never even uh, uh, pointed to in the Scripture. And, and so it, it doesn't change anything. Gabriel shows up, and in the moment that he shows up, and at the point that she's going to conceive, she is a virgin, and from there it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if she goes on to stay a virgin, it doesn't matter if she if she goes and and, and, and has marital relations with Joseph or not, it it's not going to change anything. Because her virginity is not the point of the story. But it's an important piece of the story she was a sinner in need of salvation now Gabriel doesn't show up to her and say hey sinner right I mean I, I hope an angel never shows up to you and can approaches you that way either but we can see in his greeting that she is a person just like everyone else and is in need of grace if she is going to take part in God's plans and be used for God's purposes that she is going to need his grace he shows up, and, and really, this this truly is what he says to her. It would well, be a common common greeting, "Hello, Mary. You have been graced by God. He is with you." That's exactly what he said. We we in, in tradition we have have made this big superfluous or 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 um. Uh, exaggerated saying, Hail Mary full of grace. The Lord be with you. And, and out of the Latin Vulgate, it, it, it's translated that way and it's misinterpreted from that that she is not just a recipient of grace, but that she's a bestower of grace. So we need to recognize this. We we need to see what He's saying to her. You have received grace from God. Just like everyone else needs to receive grace from God in fact it's 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 so shocking to her so so surprising to her in part because there's an angel speaking right I mean it doesn't happen every day and especially not in a little village like Nazareth and here's this angel standing before her hello Mary that's shocking you have received grace from God he is with you that immediately she begins to ponder she's perplexed she's considering she's she's Working it over in her mind. What does he mean? I mean, if she saw herself as sinless, then she would understand, well, I am full of grace. If, 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 if the, the Roman Catholic view is right, then she wouldn't need to be perplexed by it. She would know it. I've got plenty of grace to go around and I can put it on him and her and them. And, and I'm, I'm full of it. But they're full of it. They're misunderstanding what the, what the angel is about doing. So unfortunately, they make too much of her. They miss the point. They miss the point, and they begin to venerate the one who God chose to use to bring about the one we're to venerate, to bring about the one we're to worship. And see, the the beauty is, is as she's perplexed, as she's confused in this, it's not like the angel like leaves her in that. He's going to answer her. He's going to expound on how she has received grace. But before we move on, I just want you to I want you to I want to make sure you see Mary and Joseph. There's nothing, nothing to say that's special about them, nothing to point out about them except the city they're from and and their marital status. Nothing else needs to be said. Even Zachariah and Elizabeth, when you go back to the to the previous time where Gabriel shows up and, and and speaks to Zachariah and Elizabeth, Luke tells us they were righteous before God. They followed His commandments and His statutes. They there was a byline about them. There was this big prominent thing to say about them. But but he comes to Mary and Joseph, and it's like, well, Joseph is of the line of David, like hundreds of others, and Mary's a virgin, and they're from Nazareth. He, he he doesn't say anything about them that would make us believe or should make us believe they are anything more than just a couple of average folks. A couple of average, everyday people. Probably just like every person sitting in this room every day. Got plans. Got hopes for the future, thinking about what's going to happen next. Have responsibilities to take care of during the day. Just average, everyday people. But that's all about to change. God's about to do something huge. And while Mary and Joseph get to play a part, they are not the point, they're just a piece of. Of the story. And we get to see that really as the angel continues. We'll pick it up in verse 30. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. Now, I think. I don't know. I think in this moment her mind is already working. It probably goes into overdrive. We've already been told she's a virgin. Yours probably should be. Two, I think familiarity with the story, though, we, we hear it every year. We talk about it every year at Christmas. I, one of the reasons I'm glad we're, we're, we're here and we're doing this outside of Christmas is that we're not carrying the baggage of Christmas. We get to look at the truth of the incarnation outside of all that goes on in the Christmas season. <laughs> Do not be afraid. That's that standard, that standard greeting. Like this is where he starts because people are always afraid when they see him. Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You have received grace with God. Again, he emphasizes that. He he points it out. You found favor with Him. He's not obligated to work with you. He's not obligated to do anything for you. You don't deserve Him to do anything for you. You can't earn it. You You can't prepare for it. You can't plan for it. You can't twist His arm for it. You have found grace from Him. You have been favored by Him. And behold, you... Will conceive a son. Steam begins to roll from her ears. Really? But it gets better. He says, he will be great. I'm sorry, I skipped verse 31. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. And he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. It's never going to end. We 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 get caught up. We get stuck on the fact that here's, here, here's this virgin. Man, it's beautiful. It's amazing. We need to. We need to remember what God did there. But take your eyes off of Mary and look at the one that Gabriel came to proclaim was coming. His name is Jesus. It means that Yahweh, God, is salvation. He is going to be a Savior. He is going to save you from what ails you, from what condemns you, from what dooms you. He is going to give us what we need. He is Savior. He will be great. It's unfortunate we, th- we use this word, so we just throw it around today. Things are great. People are great. If you're following the presidential campaign, Donald Trump, everybody's great, even if he's insulting you in the sentence before. You're great. What a misconception. What a misunderstanding. Jesus is going to be great, Gabriel says. That means he's going to be over everything. It's, it's, it's crazy when you compare this to the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth and, and, and Gabriel announces John the Baptist. He says he will be great before God. But when he says it about Jesus, he's just great. There's no need for qualification. There's no need for a tagline. There's no it's he's intrinsically, naturally, this is who he is. He is great. Great. He is over all things. Everything answers to Him. Everything falls below Him. He is the standard of greatness. And if anything is going to be great, it is measured against Him. He will be great. He will be the Son of the Most High. He will be God's Son. The thing is, he's not just going to be great, he's going to be glorious. He's going to be worthy to be worshipped. He's going to be of a nature that's, that's worthy for of praise and honor. He is going to be, he is going to be glorious. <laughs> I mean, you just consider this for a moment. Gabriel is telling us that God is going to have a son. And we're going to get to see him face to face, flesh to flesh. He's going to put on flesh and dwell with us. Mary, you're going to have this son. And Gabriel, I mean, it's not, he's not the only one that's like, hey, this is going to be God's son. God, he, he, he affirmed it when Jesus was baptized. At the beginning of his ministry, his earthly ministry, he's baptized. God speaks from heaven, and people hear it. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And then on the Mount of Transfiguration, near the end of his ministry, he's transfigured, and his glory shines out of his humanity. and, And God speaks again from the cloud that's resting on them, and he says, This is my son in whom I am pleased. God the Father is a proud Daddy. He looks on His Son and He is proud of Him. And He is is honored to say that's Him. He's my Son. He's of the same nature and essence that I am. And you think about the importance of this as you can see it play out in the days to come in in Jesus' life. I mean, no one got upset to think that He might be of the line of David. No one got mad at Him to say that, hey, I I, I could uh, ascend to the throne. But when he said, I'm God's son, they determined to kill him. They called him a blasphemer. And they opposed God and his plan. The angel lets her know this is an amazing event that is about to take place. God is about to take flesh. And he is going to be born from you. He is going to be a king. He is already great. He is glorious above all things. And He is going to rule as a king. He is going to be given the throne of David. And He is going to sit on that throne and He is going to rule with the authority that belongs to God. By God's providential hand, He will make all things work in order that God, or or that Jesus, His Son, will reign. And how long, or where will He reign? The house of Jacob. He is going to be the King of Israel. As that plays out in redemptive history, we learn He's not just going to be the King of a nation. He's not going to be a King whose borders are drawn on a map. He's going to be a King of a people. A king of a people who have trusted in Christ as savior, who have trusted in God's redemptive plan to bring them in to be his people. And how long is that kingdom going to last? It's going to last forever. Every other, every other king has an end. They might rule for five or ten, if they're lucky, forty, fifty years. So they try to extend their reign through Offspring through children. And and they try to extend their kingdom and their dynasty. But every dynasty has ended. Every dynasty at some point has crumbled. Every empire has failed. But this one won't. He will reign forever. That means tomorrow. He's still sitting on his throne when you face the difficulties of life in the world and you're up in the morning and going to work, He is on His throne. He, in five years, when you've suffered loss or or the circumstances are such that you find yourself out of control, you can know He's not. He reigns forever. And in... When your grandchildren and great-grandchildren and great-great-great-great-great-great-grandchildren are walking the face of the earth, you have nothing to fear because our King will reign. And in the day when all things come to an end and His glory is shown and all people are faced before Him, He will be on a throne ruling and reigning in authority. And He will reign forevermore. And in 10,000 years, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun. You know who's going to be on His throne? Jesus Christ reigning as our King. Never, ever to end. Always reigning in glory. Always great and glorious and reigning forever. This is the point of the story. This is what the angel is getting at. This is what he wants Mary to see. But her mind's working. How can this be? She said this in in verse 34, that's how she responds. Mary said to the angel, Hey, that, that all sounds great. How will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy and the Son of God. Just just take a second and think about this. How is this going to be? I mean, Zachariah asked a question, and he gets struck mute. I mean, he can't talk, right? He's asking for a sign. Hey, prove it to me. She's not asking in disbelief. She's not asking for proof. She's just trying to understand. I believe what you're saying, but how is, how is it going to happen? And he tells her. But he doesn't give her detail. He doesn't give her the intimate notes about how God is going to, hey, the Holy Spirit's going to come on you. The power of God isn't going to overshadow you. And when he's all done, you're going to be pregnant. That's all she gets. But immediately, he goes back to his whole purpose. Remember, you're a virgin, and that's important to the story. It's important to God's purposes and plans. But you're a virgin, and and you're chosen. You're the one. Because when this child is born, because you've been a virgin, because you are a virgin, because God's power made this possible, this child will be holy. He'll be distinct. He'll be different than every other child that ever lives. He'll be, he'll be uh, saved from the, from the sinful nature that, that descends through mankind. Through Adam, sin entered. And through mankind, sin continues. And so God looks at her and says, there's a virgin. I'm going to put my son within her. She's going to give birth to my child. He is going to be called the son of God. She was a virgin by God's choice for God's purpose. She was a virgin so that Jesus could be called holy. She's a virgin simply so that Jesus could shine and no person, no other person could get the glory. It's the whole point of the story is Jesus. It's not Mary or Joseph, not Gabriel or, or Zachariah and Elizabeth, not John the Baptist, not Nazareth or the temple or, 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 or Judea or Jerusalem. None of those. They're simply the setting in which God enters into our lives and begins to do miraculous and powerful works. Certainly, there are details that must be told to give an accurate telling, but they are not the point. They were simply pieces of the story. Jesus is the point. The story is all about Him. And so God does something that no one else could ever take credit for. Certainly, certainly there would be excuses being made. Certainly, there would be people talking about Mary. Joseph would even have his own struggle with what happened, but a virgin got pregnant with a miraculous child who would be a savior, who would be a king, who would reign forever. That's the point of the story. You know, it's unfortunate in our our day of, of scholarship and thinking probably really being too smart for ourselves. There's there's this all, all these people and on on one end you have people who make too much of Mary we've already dealt with that on the other end you you have people that just try to deny it and get rid of it altogether. For example, in the early '90s there was this group called the the Jesus Seminar, and it's about 30 scholars that that really they they were way too smart for their own good. They had read everything but the Bible, I think, and or believed everything but the Bible. I think they had read the Bible, they just didn't believe it. They believed everything else, and and determined that that they were that they had the authority to determine what in the Bible is right and wrong, and what's true and not true. So these thirty scholars would would deal with the passage and they'd vote and determine should that go or should that stay. And the virgin birth was one of those things. the the The, the narrative of the virgin birth, they determined it wasn't true and it was, it it, it wasn't necessary. And so they determined that it didn't need to be believed. Then comes along a very short-lived and, and relatively small movement called the Emergent Church Movement. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but but there was a lot of people in it that were really beginning to question and trying to, to get rid of certain doctrines. One of its leaders, is a man named Rob Bell, who has since shown himself to just totally step outside of Christian uh, teaching and Christian doctrine, but at the time he wrote a book called Velvet Elvis. And in that book, he brought question to the virgin birth, and he asked the question, hey, do we really need it? Would it, really, would it really matter? Would it really change anything if at some point in history that they dug up a, 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 a proof that, that Jesus really did have a dad and his name was Larry? Would that change anything? That's kind of how he put it. It wasn't exactly like that, but essentially that was the question. And there's been all kinds of questions about this. But here's the thing if we rid ourselves of the virgin birth, if we get rid of this teaching, if if Bell is right and it doesn't matter, or if the Jesus Seminar is right and it's not true, then we have serious problems. We have a serious issue. here's Here's the reality of the situation, that when Gabriel shows up, He showed up to a virgin on purpose, partly because it was God's choice, but partly God's choice had to do with a virgin because he says it in this passage. He says that that you are, she's like, I'm a virgin. How's it going to happen? The angel answered her, he's going to come on you. The power is going to overshadow you and you're going to be, you're going to have a child so that he will be called holy, the son of God. The thing is, if it's not a virgin birth, he's a kid just like the rest of our kids, Let that sit on you for a minute. My mom's laughing. Just like your kid. Not holy. Not going to be a king. Nothing special about him. Born in a city, in a a village. And we should probably note this, in a village where he had no advantage. He was likely going to grow up in this village and do nothing more than farm and be a carpenter, except that God had other plans for him. Not just that. I mean, certainly this is the beginning of the redemptive name of Christ. This is this is where 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 Christ's power and his and his kingship and his holiness reside. That he was not born of a man, but he was born of a virgin. But but more than that, Luke comes to us as a as a unit. All 24 chapters, it's all together. We don't get the option. It's not like we have a right now to sit down and say, this is right and this is wrong, this is true and this is false. If we begin to question the virgin birth, then we must begin to question the crucifixion and ultimately the resurrection. What can be believed if the virgin birth is a lie? What isn't a lie? We lose certainty. We lose confidence. We have no footing to stand on. But even more than that, even further than that, we call God a liar. And we say there's something he can't do. But Gabriel knows that's not true. He will be called holy, the son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. He's already made the barren womb fertile. And at this point, there's very few people that understand what's going on. I mean, certainly Zachariah knows. Maybe Elizabeth knows. There's a lot of talk in their village about this old couple, man. They probably shouldn't be having kids, but look at them. Here they are, selfish as they are, having kids. I don't even know if she's going to be able to make it or not. They're going to they're be 100 before he graduates high school. I don't know what kind of talk was going on, but there was something happening. You know there was. She's already been made pregnant. It's part of the whole process. For nothing will be impossible with God. God not only makes barren wombs fertile, He makes virgins give birth. Nothing is impossible with Him. Absolutely nothing. He can do whatever He chooses. Now, all things He decrees, He accomplishes. <laughs> and if we get rid of the virgin birth, because it's just too unbelievable, because it's just unnecessary, then we've just disarmed the power of God. What will you be certain in then? What will you find confidence in then? A kid like yours. That's who Jesus would be. And Mary said, Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. I think she understands what's coming. I think she already knows. This is going to be difficult to explain. I'm a virgin, I am the servant of the Lord. This is going to, be, this is going to come at a cost. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. It's a beautiful story that Mary and Joseph get to take part in for the glory of God, for the good of His people. It's the hope we have. Let me just close with some quick points of application. God doesn't need us in order to accomplish his purposes. But he graces us with the blessing of service in his work. With God, nothing is impossible. He didn't need Joseph to give Mary a child. Truth is, he didn't really need Mary. If you remember back at the very beginning of all things, he made Adam. From the dust of the earth, he made a man. If he had so chosen, do you think that he couldn't have put flesh on his son without Mary? I think he probably could. But he chose as an act of grace to bless her and to bless Joseph with this part of the story, with this piece of the puzzle. An act of grace. It's unfortunate that so often we we look at serving God. We look at the, the ways that He calls us into this life as duty, as as, as an obligation, as, as a burden that we have to carry. I don't have time to serve Him. I don't have time to, to do the things He calls me to do. I am not good enough to do the things He's called me to do. Who am I? I've got no Christian education I got no answers for everybody. I'm just little low me from little low wherever, with a little, little o nothing to offer. But by God's grace he equips us to serve him. Power to, to do something phenomenal. Serving God, second, serving God is a blessing that leads to His glory and our good through suffering. First His, then ours. Glory, victory, success, those, those kind of they they will always follow suffering. If they're going to be achieved, it's going to require suffering. It's going to require difficulty. We, I, I think, I, like I said, I think Mary had this already in mind. I think she understood it as she responds now behold i'm a servant of the lord i think she's already got it figured out we know from matthew's account of the gospel story that 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 joseph found out she's pregnant doesn't know what happened is like whoa that's not my kid I'm going to divorce her. In in that day, an engagement, not not just marriage, but an engagement had to be broken off with a legal divorce. They had to to be divorced even from engagement. That's not my kid. But God shows up and says, No, Joseph, take her as your wife. This is going to be be amazing. This is going to be big. You don't want to miss out. But together, think about it together. What kind of ridicule did they face? If he stayed with her, they must be doing something before they're married that's worthy of stoning. I mean, if they're following the law, that's, that's worthy of death. There's going to be difficulty. It's going to come at a cost. Paul referenced this in, the, in Romans 8 when he talked about the, these current sufferings, these, these current difficulties are, are nothing in comparison with the glory that is to be revealed. Again, he talked about it in Second Corinthians when, when he said that the light and momentary afflictions that we experience today are, are, are preparing us for the glory that is to come. When we are following Christ, when we are serving Christ, when we are living as servants in in obedience to Him, humbly submitted under His authority, there there will come difficulty. But it will never hurt you. Or I'm sorry, it will never harm you. It may hurt for a moment, but it will will end in glory. It will end in your good. And, And the thing is that this isn't something that's just for you and for me. This is the path that Jesus walked. He stepped out of heaven where He was in need of nothing. His greatest pain was caused by us. And He came to us. He put on flesh. He took on a whole new nature. And He humbled Himself as a servant. Certainly, He's going to rule as a king, but He he humbled Himself in those days as a servant. He came to serve. He even humbled himself to the point of death. And he didn't get a glorious death. He didn't get some death that, 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 you know, hey, that's going to be stories told about that because he is a hero. He got a criminal's death. The only reason we remember it as glorious today is because in that criminal's death, he was paying a price that we could not pay. He was doing a work that we could not do. He was giving us a life that we did not deserve. He is our hero because He died to Himself. He died for His Father. He sacrificed and He suffered. Through His suffering, we get to enjoy His glory. that's, That's why we don't have to be upset about what comes. Because the worst that happens to us today ends in glory. God's story, third and finally, God's story revolves around Jesus. I hope that's what you heard today. I hope that's what you got. God's story revolves around Jesus, and Jesus was born so that we could too. Our lives before Christ are all about ourselves about what we can accomplish, about the name we can make for ourselves, about the things we can do and be impress others, the things that we can make a name for ourselves and the things that, that we can build and the ways that we can garner appreciation and, and pats on the back from people. That's who we are. Jesus was born to free you from that so that you wouldn't have to be that way anymore because that's that's not the way it's not the way he created us. He created us that we might know him, that we might walk in relationship with him, that we might be centered on him. And Jesus took on flesh. He's the point of the story. So that you could see he's the point of the story.